Ultra. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Jason Nesmith slash Captain Taggart, Gwen DeMarco slash Lieutenant Madison, Alexander Dane slash Dr. Lazarus, Fred Kwan slash Tech Sergeant Chen, Gly Fliegman slash Crewman Number 6, and Tommy Weber slash Lieutenant Laredo from Galaxy Quest. And uh, I share my script with our guests before we record, and I'm just going to read what uh, is in the script here now joining us are returning all-star guest nick english welcome nick hello i am so happy to be back and some random guy that was fixing the internet so we invited him brandon ushio welcome back brandon i'm surprised you even know my last name <laughs> seriously he's just the guy in the chair uh, thanks for having me yeah. Oh, very happy <laughs> and, to have you both and may, on. And maybe next time, don't give Nick edit rights. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, just share the document. Then. <laughs> Viewer only. Yes. Well, we are talking about Brandon. Galaxy Brandon Ushio is like is like the Ned. Like I'm Spider Man, and he's Ned. I'm Peter Parker. He's no. also very humble. Yeah. We we know this of Nick. I'm already. the most humble guy I know. Uh, we were talking about Galaxy Quest, a 1999 film <laughs> written by David Howard and Robert Gordon. That's four first names between those two screenwriters. And it was directed by Dean Parasat. It tells the story of a group of actors from an old sci-fi show who are mistaken by an alien culture as real heroes. Those aliens believe the episodes they viewed are historical documents and recruit the actors to help them fight off a very real threat. It starred Tim Allen as uh, Jason Nesmith slash Peter Quincy, Sigourney Weaver as Gwen DeMarco slash Lieutenant Madison, Alan Rickman as Alexander Dane slash Dr. Lazarus, Tony Shalhoub as Fred Kwan slash Tech Sergeant Chen, Sam Rockwell as Guy Fliegman slash crewman number six and Daryl Mitchell as Tommy Weber slash Lieutenant Laredo. Um, Galaxy Quest is for me an interesting text because it came out like at a point in my life where I wasn't able to like really consume everything. So I kind of like remember it being there, but it seems like it is like if it had come out like five years order uh, earlier, it'd be one of those movies that I almost had memorized. But because of when it came out, it's more like, oh, I remember liking that. And then I've realized like it has a pretty enduring fandom for being 24 years old um, and has retained a lot of interest. I think I just kind of missed the right wave of uh, of being able to be like nostalgically looking back at it. Um, but I remember when it came out and I remember thinking that was a good movie. And I've only seen it maybe once or twice since then. But I, I do see many references to it uh, on the Internet and in media. Um, Brandon, do you remember how you came to it? You know, when I came to it, it was so this came out just in like the heyday, just towards the end of the heyday of the Star Trek phase and right like of the Star Trek reboots. I'm sure there's a name for the era um, among true Trekkies, but, you know, I've I, I'm just a fake. Um, but, you know, came out I would in disagree with that came out in 99. And so I was about all things Star Trek. And so I went and saw it in the theaters. Uh, I I didn't. I was, I think I was too young to actually uh, put together the nuanced uh, take on the things that they were taking together. But over the years, I've watched it over and over and over again because it is one of those movies that shows fandom 
uh, has some, has some fun sci-fi. And yeah, so I, I think I, I just saw it in the movie theater. I, there was nothing really special about it. And I, it didn't like strike me as like the most amazing movie ever at the time, but I've, it's one that has endured, uh, some ways better than others, but it's, mm-hmm. it's endured in my heart for sure. And what about you, Nick? Honestly, I have no recollection of seeing this movie for the first time. It's just just one of those ones that's like, oh yeah, Galaxy Quest. It's, Everyone knows Galaxy Quest. Well, like I looked at it and I was like, this movie came out in 1999. Oh man, that was like I was like graduating from high school, and so I'm sure that I either went on a date, I was on with a girl, like cuddling on the couch, or my dad just brought it home and said, "Watch this." And yeah, I would argue this is not a cuddle with the girl on the couch kind of a movie. Hey, you don't know the type of girls that I dated. I would argue this is not a cuddle with a girl on the couch kind of movie. I mean, it's not. I would just say that. I'm going to say I was hoping. uh, I would say I was hoping to cuddle with a girl on a couch. Watch watching Schindler's List. It's not like that. A lot, a lot better, a lot better description would be going over to a girl's house to watch this in hopes that I could cuddle with her and didn't. <laughs> All right. In, in, in respect to Joe, I'm just going to leave it there. <laughs> I don't know. This where was to before go Netflix that. and chill. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, it was definitely a show that I saw and then, and then I was out of the country for two years, like just immediately after that. And mm-hmm. so I probably watched it again in college. But I mean, it's such a good movie that it's like I it's always been around and I've I put it on once a year. So, well, yeah, like I said, it uh, there's a lot of movies that came out in 1999 that are, are just kind of in the, uh, you know, the forgotten parts of pop culture where it's like oh yeah that 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 came out but this one has definitely had uh a significant fan base that has kept it pretty uh present and there's been as we'll get to in the trivia like pretty consistent talks of like doing more with it as a franchise that haven't yet uh developed into anything uh but even just as as the one-off which it's fine for media to just be a one-off uh it has um had an enduring audience i think now let me let, let me ask you this. You said there in 1999 there were just a lot of movies that people are like, oh yeah, that's a movie. Is that is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, well, that like don't have like a pretty fervent online fan base that's still. Uh, all, all right, all right. I'm just going to say like I googled 19. Uh, 19 oh, let's make sure Google's giving me good, accurate releases. So I googled popular 1999 movies, uh-huh. and it's Iron Giant, great Star Wars: The Phantom Menace. Okay, that one. That one's uh, um, still going. <laughs> yeah, that that one's still going. Uh, there's Toy Story two. Mm-hmm. The Matrix, um, I think, was that year, right? The Matrix yeah. was that year. I mean, isn't uh, that's got a little bit of a fan base? Uh, but, uh, Brandon Brandon Fraser's The Mummy was also that year. So I'm not saying there were like bad yes. films that I mean, came out, but I'm Fight sure if clubs? we if we moved out of the top ten, there'd Ooh, be Fight quite Club a few. Where definitely. It's like, <laughs> let's see i i don't know how i feel about google saying okay here are all the popular movies that came out and then these are the top picks for you and they're mostly not the popular movies all right there's a movie I, called I think, that, uh, I think that payback uh i remember that movie that Gibson. Gibson movie yeah but like do yeah. you see that one referenced in random uh online conversations the way you no. run across galaxy quest i think that might be a mel gibson thing 
Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, he he kind of he kind of broke himself. <laughs> uh, but I, I mean, I honestly think everyone was freaking out about Y two K so much that they were like, "We got to get all our good ideas out because the world's going to explode." Oh, and... entrapment! That was that came out that year. That was a good movie. Yeah. Wait, sorry, is, uh, sorry. We've turned this into the nineteen ninety nine podcast. My favorite Martian party, movie. Like it's nineteen ninety nine. Was my favorite Martian? Well, That's a Disney movie that came out in 1999. Oh, Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> oh, yeah. now I have a vague memory of that existing. As I'm going through this, like there's some movies <laughs> where it's like I have no idea that what what that is, but then like at the uh, number 71 in the box office that year is Mystery Men. I'm like, oh, oh you know, <laughs> Mystery Men. I liked that movie. Yeah, it was funny. Uh, anyway, uh, Galaxy Quest. So I've got some, some <laughs> sorry <trivia laughs> tangent. <laughs> Uh, Harold Ramis was hired to direct the film initially, and he wanted to get Alec Baldwin uh, as the captain character, and Alec Baldwin passed, and then he pursued Steve Martin and Kevin Kline for the lead roles, and I can imagine all three of those men playing this this character. Uh, When they had all passed, the producers pushed for Tim Allen, and Ramis did not think that was a good match, and so he left the project, and Ramis has later later said that he uh, enjoyed seeing Tim Allen's performance and thought he did a good job with it. Um. As I read through the character names, you may have caught on Tony Shalhoub's character's name. <laughs> Did you? It was Fred Kwan playing Tech Sergeant Chen, and those are Asian coded names. He's, yeah, <laughs> for for I Tony Shalhoub. I mean, you're a multicultural society in 1999, right? No, <laughs> uh, but but uh, they said that they actually were trying to do a send up of David Carradine, a non Asian who played an Asian character on TV, and. Uh, that kind of uh, situation that Hollywood been in. I don't think it lands very well uh, in the film, but I also I, the, I don't hear the character's name enough that I even really caught on it until I was writing up the summary. I was like, wait, what? Well, and like when I saw that, I, wa- I watched I watched the movie, like I saw this trivia, and then I was watched the movie. The only time he looks even remotely Asian at all is like in that very first cutscene when they're showing the the show. Have you seen David Carradine? No. Just saying. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, and also with this, uh, maybe a little bit of trivia about the Tony Shalhoub character. The film originally had an R rating, um, which it ends up PG. Uh, and one thing That's that quite the scale. Yes. Uh, one thing that happened uh, in in the cuts to move from R is that the Tony Shalhoub character. Um, th- there is. Well, I don't know if it's so much speculation as pretty confirmed stories about David Carradine, maybe operating under chemical enhancement as he was playing his character. And so they the Tony Shalhoub character was in the R-rated version, much more obviously high all the time. Uh, And in the PG version, it's just he seems a little odd. And once you know that trivia, you can see what they were doing. Uh, That explains so much. (laughs) Yes. Well, there is a like he's interested in in food and has weird munchies and. Um, but yeah, it, 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 well, yeah, he's it, definitely, he's definitely on something like during the entire time and then they get onto the ship. And then when he finally like does something well, then he perks up and he starts being so. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. that's what, one that if we had the R rated, which they had filmed that version, I think a lot more about that character would have made more sense, which that's it's gotta fine. be in somebody's vault somewhere. Uh, so the film got trimmed to PG 13, 
and then the studio decided they wanted to be PG, which at that point it was trimming some language. The Scorny Weaver character dropped an F bomb in the PG 13 version, uh, some things like that. You can see when it is if you're paying attention. Uh, yes, she said that she actually it. didn't like the the change, and so she did bad ADR. <laughs> it was in the trivia that she deliberately <laughs> made the ADR look bad for that one. Uh, I think I think it's when she says "screw it," whoever yep. wrote this. Yeah, that is exactly it. I noticed that. I was like, "Hmm." And the is this, I was like, "Am I watching TNT?" In the P or the at least in the R-rated version, when the ship crashes into the GalaxyCon, the the fan convention at the end, uh, it oh. killed and decapitated many fans. <laughs> <What's>... oh, <geez. laughs> okay, hey. can we talk about that for a second? Because the special effects in this film are not that great. No. And so I can only imagine... Compare it to The Phantom Menace. It's the same. No, it's not. No. No, it's and not. The Phantom Menace Rock Monster? The Rock Monster looks just as good as pod racing. To, no, tell me tell me that the movie theaters would have had to upgrade their equipment to play this movie. No, you can't do that. I mean, it's... Well, it's already upgraded because they already had done Star Wars. I, I've watched the podcast right, right. well, a lot because that was one of my kids' favorite sequences in Star Wars and... Uh, I think that's that's better than the rock monster. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just saying, know. like, human decapitation special effects in this movie uh, would have been quite the sight to see. Well, I wonder if, uh, like, I don't know how far along the R-rated version was versus the PG-13 versus the PG, but I'm wondering if there was just, like, no budget for some of the special effects as they were getting down to the PG or the PG version in the end. <laughs> like, uh, just, just make what it. I What I heard, it was also a lot darker. It wasn't a comedy anymore. Like, it was supposed to be kind of, like, ominous and stuff, and then they're like, no, this is, no. I think that was in early, an early script version. I think the, the R-rated one was still pretty comedic. Um, interesting from at least the notes that i've seen but it did well, go through I, several I, script revisions uh after the initial uh pitch was was bought um and and the writer that i mean we got the snyderverse version why can't we have the r-rated version of galaxy <laughs> quest is, is anyone really clamoring for that like <laughs> i think that, that i think that honestly a lot of people would watch it i think just as many as the snyderverse request just maybe not as loud yeah yeah um so many I mean, if they dropped it on anything like Netflix or anything, I'm sure people would sign up to watch it. Like it would get them some subscriptions. Yeah, again, I I just don't month. know. Like if they had that existing like edited fully edited in a vault, I could see that happening. But if it, it was like he, we we have the footage, but it wasn't actually all edited together before they changed it to yeah, PG and then down to PG. I don't think any studios going to spend the money on that. Especially after seeing what happened when they spent some money on the, <laughs> the Snyderverse version. Um so, uh, let's see. Many Star Trek actors have praised the film. In particular, in particular, Patrick Stewart seems delighted by it. I the only uh, one like there, there's a whole collection of quotes from Star Trek actors talking about Galaxy Quest, which is clearly a, a parody of, of Star Trek and Star Trek fan culture. Um, the one that cracked me up most though was William Shatner said, "I just don't know what Tim Allen is doing. That doesn't feel like any performance I've ever seen in Star Trek." <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, and didn't and didn't um, Tim Allen? say specifically he said i was not trying to parody captain kirk he said my inspiration came from uh the ten commandments the yule brenner yule brenner is that yeah Mm -hmm. and he said when he was like sitting there like screaming and stuff like on he's like that's where that's where i pulled my 
my stuff from. I don't know if Tim Allen's just trying to be kind to William Shatner. I, and I not, could definitely like, see some William Shatner parody in his performance. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, it's it's kind of obvious, but maybe he was just being nice to his publicist. Yeah. Um, I mentioned that there's been several like movements towards franchising this, uh, as far as when it first came out, there was a novelization of the film and then there was a comic book sequel that was published. Um, and just showing that there's still interest in 2021, there was a behind the scenes book that was published and also a website produced a documentary for the film's 20th anniversary. And it sounded like they had quite a, a bit of the cast and crew. And then also a lot of Star Trek people that came onto that documentary as talking heads, uh, to talk about galaxy quest. It seems like, it, um, you know, when I just saw it was a website, I had produced a documentary. I didn't know what it was going to be, but then I read everyone that was involved and it seemed like it was a pretty professional, um, documentary that was made. Um, a sequel has been rumored since the film came out in 1999 uh, in 2014, Alan mentioned that a script for a sequel had been written. In 2015, the producers announced plans to make a TV series based on the film. Reportedly, Alan Rickman's death prevented that project from moving forward. In 2017, a new take on the project was announced with Paul Shear writing. Alan uh, again talked to the film sequel in 2021. And then just last month at the time of this recording in April of 2023, it was announced that uh, Paramount plus is developing a TV series, um, not in production. Uh, so uh, who knows if that one will actually happen? Cause there's been many other things announced about this uh, franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the film was successful uh, when it came out, it made um, let's see, I've got it uh, $90 million worldwide, which is not, you know, a huge, huge hit, but uh, for the budget that I had and, and for 1999, that was definitely uh, a successful film. And it has on Rotten Tomatoes a 90% positive rating. And then the last bit of trivia, the basic premise of this film can be found in several other films. Um, and a lot of it is like you go from Seven Samurai to Magnificent Seven to The Three Amigos to A Bug's Life to Galaxy Quest. And now there we are. <laughs> it's, it's the path that a lot of people identify for it. But in particular with uh, Three Amigos, where it's, uh, you know, film actors that are mistaken for real heroes and A Bug's Life circus performers who are mistaken for real heroes. And in Galaxy Quest, it's, it's that same premise, but in space. Before we move on to the summary of the film, we want to thank you for downloading this episode, and we especially want to thank any listeners who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are monthly episodes in which we talk about the media that we've been consuming that we are not yet covering as full episodes of this podcast, and uh, we also give updates on our fantasy box office game. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. Now on to the spoiler summary the cast of galaxy quest an old sci-fi tv show are at a fan convention again they spend a lot of time at fan events at the convention the captain jason is asked to help a group calling themselves the thermians he thinks it's a fan group asking for an appearance and asks them to pick him up in a limo in the morning he's hungover that morning and he gets into the limo without realizing that these are real aliens who are asking him to rescue them from a real threat. He misses that he has been beamed aboard a spaceship and he wanders onto the bridge there admiring the quality of this recreation of a spaceship. An alien comes onto the view screen and demands the Omega 13, a device from an unresolved cliffhanger in the galaxy quest TV series. The Thermians built it uh, based on the show, but they don't actually even know what it does. Jason repeats some of the usual attacks uh, that he would do in the series uh, when there's a threat and tells the crew to carry them out. And then he walks away and asks the Thermians to drop him off back home. He's transported there and in being transported home, he sees that he was in outer space and uh, he freaks out when he realizes that that was really a spaceship. 
He tries to convince the cast at the fan convention that he just had a real space adventure, but they think he's drunk. He mixes up a communicator that the aliens had given him with a fan replica at the convention. The Thermians return and say they still need his help. His attack instructions did not uh, did not get rid of the alien threat. Um, thinking that this is a paying gig, the rest of the cast join the captain and they are all taken up to the spaceship. They freak out while he is very excited about this. Uh, they learn that the Thermians have no concept of fiction and believe the episodes they viewed are historical documents. They built an exact replica of the protector, the ship from galaxy quest for the crew to save them from the threat of Ceres. The crew awkwardly pilot the ship out of where it was docked. They're not quite actually good at piloting the ship yet uh when saris arrives and attacks them the crew barely escape through a magnetic minefield but the ship's beryllium core is damaged a nearby planet had a beryllium mine so they go there and manage to retrieve a new core though the captain does lose his shirt in a fight with aliens when they return to the protector saris has taken over and captured the thermians saris realizes the humans are just actors and makes them tell the thermians uh what they really are uh this is a sad scene when i was watching this with my kids my daughter was like this is a sad show why are you making me watch this (laughs) saris then activates the protector's self-destruct mechanism and traps the thermians in a room with oxygen slowly leaking out as uh, they await their death jason uses his communicator to contact the fan from the convention to help walk him through a rescue attempt using the ship's vents to navigate to where they can deactivate the self-destruct and also rescue the thermians i think we need to point out the fan in the convention's name is brandon it's a very strong name this is definitely important he contacts brandon (laughs) brandon okay brandon brandon always knew galaxy quest was real and he's very excited about this call i knew it i knew it Jason also asks the fan about Omega-13, and Brandon says uh, his speculation is that this was a device that will turn back time for 13 seconds. Jason uh, and Gwen find a section of the ship with chompers and flames. Like, to get to the self-destruct, they've got to crawl through these mechanical chompers that are just on a timing rhythm. They get very angry at the writers of that episode. Uh, because that was poorly written. have accurately uh, recreated this strange device for them to climb through. Uh, when they do, they reach a deactivation button for the self-destruct and stop the ship from blowing up. Dr. Lazarus rescues uh, the Thermians, though one is fatally wounded, and he repeats his hated line from the show, By Grabthar's hammer, by the sons of Warven, you shall be avenged. The crew regain control of the ship and travel through the minefield again, dragging mines behind them, which they use to attack Ceres's ship, destroying it. The Protector returns to Earth, but just as they're reaching home, Ceres reveals that he beamed aboard the Protector before his ship exploded, and he kills the crew. With his dying actions, Jason activates Omega-13, which jumps them all back 13 seconds in time. Jason stops Ceres from killing the crew. The crew crashes the bridge section of the ship down onto Earth and into the fan convention. Ceres pops out one more time, and Jason disintegrates him in front of adoring fans. As credits roll, we see that Galaxy Quest has begun production of a new series, Galaxy Quest, The Journey Continues. The end. Beautiful. Um, I guess my first question is, why do you think this comedy parody of star trek and you know maybe some some other sci-fi shows has had such enduring fandom that 20 plus years later people were making a documentary and there's still talk of uh you know doing more with the franchise in my opinion part of the reason why this has endured so much is because it gives you an episode of Star Trek, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. But it also then focuses on the life and the experiences of the people who are sitting in that 
movie theater or on in the living room watching it on the television. This is a show that people can see themselves in, people can relate with, and people can escape in all at once. And there's and there's different things that you can notice from there. Uh, if you want to go into it looking at what uh, fan culture is like, maybe more fan culture in uh, 1999. The conventions definitely Before are different today yeah. uh, than they were back then. But but there's a lot of similarities still in fan culture and fan conventions from there. Uh, you can you've got the first half of the movie. If you just kind of want a fun, quirky comedy, you can do that. If you want a sci-fi movie. You've got that. If you want one where the nerd is the hero, because let's be honest, so many nerds want to be the hero and never get to be, there's there's that as well. So there's a lot there's a lot of layers to this. I, I think this is what Shrek would call an onion. Um, just because it, it can give you a lot of different things. And so even though it's a goofy comedy starring the guy who grunts on Home Improvement. <gasps> yeah, yeah, that, that, that sound. It's a movie that... It's a movie that you can get a lot of things out of and is rewatchable for that. The, the special effects are not necessarily rewatchable. Oh, they're up to par with uh, Phantom Menace. Okay, great, great. It's the pod racing scene. Perfect. Um, <laughs> you got to just tell him he's right or else he just keeps going. Um, but it's done in... I, I almost feel like the special effects are done not great almost as an homage to Star Trek, the original series. And so even that's done out of love and you, and you can forgive that because it's like, Oh, this is showing tribute to this thing that's inspiring them. So there's a lot to this movie that, that you can just kind of forgive. Like there's, there's a lot to this movie that maybe doesn't hold up, but in the lens of uh, fandom, there's a, there's just a lot you can glean from it. And I think that's why I th- I think that's why this is a movie that, uh, came out in 99 and that we're talking about now uh, and that w- I didn't even have to think twice when when you were like hey do you want to talk about this I'm like yeah, sure I do you're right I do uh, Nick do you have any thoughts on that well I um, I think it's also because this show has a stellar cast like I cannot find anyone that I'm like meh but they're all actors that were like at the beginning of their um tenure like i think justin this was justin long's first movie and also rain uh rain wilson rain wilson from the White office is in the background as one of the aliens yeah um, he does have a speaking line yes and he had more that was filmed, um, in, but it was cut <sighs> yeah but he had a he had a speaking line in the in the limousine when they're all mm-hmm. red in the limousine but you know, and those are background characters. I mean, Brandon is the hero of the story, so Justin Long, like he, I mean, he really, he really lucked out. But it's a real strong every, debut for him. Every, yeah, everybody in this show is when is still acting, doing ster- yeah, I mean, stellar you have, you things. Or Sam Rockwell in a pretty like, minor role for this, but it, you know, it's like yeah. oh, Sam Rockwell is is there. Sam Rockwell. You know, Tony Shalhoub, Sigourney Weaver. We don't even, you know, I mean, she already yeah. had a, a crazy good career and, and is still acting. You know, I'm just going to um, point this out. There's one guy that we know isn't currently acting. Yes, but he had an amazing career. Okay, okay. I mean, the only person that I can think of that I wasn't like immediately like, well, I know a thousand things is is the pilot. Um, mm. but 
I think I, I, I'm pretty sure he was on a sitcom recently and I don't remember which one it was, but I mean, just the cast is awesome. And I, I kind of feel like it was just pure luck <laughs> that they got such a good cast. I mean, obviously they, they, they said, Oh, these are all good actors and we want to hire them for the film. But, but I mean, really, oh, like, uh, as I was I'm watching it again, actor, I was just like, it's, uh, uh, Let's see. What is his name? Just make sure I get this right. Daryl Mitchell. Daryl Mitchell. He's been in, uh, he was in NCIS New Orleans for seven years. And in 2018, he was in Fear the Walking Dead. I think he's, it's a little, sounds like from the way this okay, is. So, is that one still going? So yeah, he's he's had a great career. I don't watch NCIS. I wouldn't have seen him there. Yeah. Um, Fear the Walking Dead, I did not watch either. Um, but yeah, no, like seriously. So I think that that might be a little bit of it. I also echo what brandon said Mm -hmm. is that we easily can see each other in it and i think that um i mean nerds like to see themselves in shows it's called fan service yeah i mean it is literally a fan service movie that you just did it better than a lot of (laughs) a lot of other shows did so yeah, and I think another thing that the movie does particularly well is while it is structured around parody um, and uh, some level of winking at the audience, it also still gives you a few moments of real emotion. I think the two that stand out most are when the crew has to explain to the Thermians that they're just actors. Like I said, my my daughter was like, this is a sad movie now. <laughs> like, why, why are we watching this? This, you know, th- this part's not funny at all. And then the, uh, uh, when... Alan Rickman, and some of this is just the gravitas that's inherent to Alan Rickman reading any line. Uh, but when he has been eye-rolling his way through saying his catchphrase from the film, by Gravthar's hammer, you will be oh, avenged. Yeah. Uh, but then he says it earnestly after an alien that has helped him and that he's befriended dies. It's like, why am I feeling real emotions right now in this silly, silly movie? <laughs> it's, uh, and well, it's because Alan, Rack- Alan, Alan you know, Rickman, he's, he is just uh, so fantastic. Uh, both. I mean, he had five curtain calls. So, I mean, <laughs> for the comedy that he brings, he's amazing. But then also, like to to turn on that that switch and and make us feel something so significant. Um, I, I think that shows his depth as an actor. He said he immediately uh, loved the role because um, he, he said there's nothing more fun for an actor than sending up actors uh, and and kind of goofing <laughs> on <laughs> how how pretentious we can be, <laughs> and, uh, and and yet you see the skill that's there, uh, you know, in his performance that even as he's just having fun being a little bit silly about the actor's life, um, he's able to deliver a performance that, that really does uh, hit the heartstrings. Well, another, another part that comes to mind when you said that is when Tim Allen is in the restroom and those bullies are talking about all the nerds mm-hmm. that are hanging out. And he's like, this loser is thinks he's a big deal and all that stuff. Like, I mean, that hit home to me, too. I was like, I don't like anyone bullying anyone, and that's not cool. Yeah, I, um, I think um, if if it didn't have some of those stronger emotional beats, this could have been like a very funny, almost like SNL sketch parody, you know, of something. Uh, but then well, having... the, like, like you said, with those beats, that pacing makes it makes it connect to us. Yeah, like, exactly. It makes it a real movie. Mm hmm. And it, it, I think that just elevates everything. The fact that they're willing to to give us those those moments. 
And again, let's just, I, I cannot stress enough how great Alan Rickman is, <laughs> you know, in this performance, but in general, uh, you know, in his performances, but my goodness, uh, is he, is he great in this? Uh, do you have any favorite moments of the film that have stood out to you? I think my favorite part is definitely when the kid is sitting in his room and the captain calls him and he's like, wait, what? And he's like, and then he finds the communicator and he's like, I, I don't know. I mean, that was fan service right? But like, how many times have I been sitting in my room with my whatever, just thinking, oh, wouldn't it be cool if this was real or something like that? And so that wish fulfillment is fun. And then, and then the whole scene where it's like, well, I'm going to call my friend. He knows those corridors better than anyone. And just the collective like nerd group getting together. And then he's got to take out the garbage. (laughs) I mean, it's just uh, everything about that scene is just like, that's my childhood. (laughs) Like that's me and my friends, like talking around the, you know, water cooler or whatever about, star trek or star wars or batman or whatever it was i mean and, and then when justin long is like talking to the cool guy he's like he he's like yeah i know it's not real like he this is something that every nerd of that generation did they had to pretend like they didn't yeah. really obsess about something in their fandom and, yeah, and it was, yeah and and it was it was bad i mean there were movies called revenge of the nerds and, but making the, fun of people like you know that liked that stuff but the second that he was validated it was like i knew it i like it all all the walls dropped right like he he just that was the natural defense so like that that was pretty good too i i i I do like that part nick i i think the comedic beat that they give where they're trying to deactivate the countdown uh and then suddenly there's silence on the on on the communicator and then it cuts down to earth where the kid has been made to take out like the garbage (laughs) and he's like it's a real emergency mom (laughs) that was and then, uh and the, then the of that was walking out he's walking out the door with a bunch of roman candles and his mom's like what are you doing and he just tells her the truth he's like we got to bring in the ship and she just turns to her husband and is like well at least he's going outside and i'm just like yeah that's my kid i'm like at least you're going outside so uh, funny. brandon do you have any favorite moments Oh, so I I do really like that fan service that Nick talked about. Um, a, a moment like if we're going to talk about a moment, one of oh, it's it's hard. I really it's changed over the years because it used to be that one of my favorite moments, and I'm going to pull on Nick here and cheat and give you two. It used to be that one of my favorite moments was uh, when they got to the scene with the chompers that we already talked about, mm-hmm. and they're like, yeah, this writing was terrible. Who wrote, whoever wrote this should be shot. You know, you could love something that has terrible writing. And I love a lot of stuff that has terrible writing, by the way, I've got some terrible writing that I think we need to do an episode on for some books here in the, in the near future, because those are like the terrible writing can be some of the most fun when you're not actually having to survive what the writers are throwing at you. So that scene is great. And I really like that. But uh, as I've gotten older and as I've spent more time around fans and fan conventions, I really like the the scene where uh, where Tim Allen just like kind of loses it, you know, after he gets bullied in the bathroom without being bullied, after he gets depressed in the bathroom, essentially. Um, and he just kind of loses it on Justin Long it, as the fan of the thing. It's like, you know what? This is, you know... Y- 
I've had so many weird interactions with celebrities and that made me be like, you know, they're people too. And sometimes they have bad days and maybe my, you know, maybe my bad experience with a celebrity was just an off day for them. Or maybe my really good experience, they just got really great news. Maybe, maybe they just got a puppy or something like, yeah, you know, I don't don't know, (laughs) but a puppy, I mean, who doesn't love puppies? Uh, so I, I really liked that scene, even though it's kind of like one of those emotional downbeats, Mm -hmm. it just, it just kind of anchors that entire first half of that movie when they're doing fan conventions. And I really, I I really liked almost the lessons that you can learn from watching them as human beings in the fan conventions. Uh, it's not the exciting action, but it's, I almost think that's like the whole point of the movie is that, is that these people who are at the fan convention are not the people that you idolize. They can do great things, but they're still not, even at the end of the movie, they're not the people that they idolize. They're just the the people that they are Mm -hmm. doing cool things. Yeah. People, you know, they, they rose to an occasion, but they're, they're not the people that were in the videos. Yeah, historical documents. Historical yes. documents. <laughs> um, I, you've stolen some of my favorite moments, uh, gentlemen. But I, I think I'm going to shout out just for the uh, how quick it is the the joke about the captain losing his shirt <laughs> on the <flat. laughs> and the very specific reference to 1960s Star Trek that that represented. That that one always cracks me up. I see that you lost your shirt. <laughs> And yes. then also um, the Sam Rockwell character. I like it when he comes out and he's like, he's British. <laughs> I love those. The, the Sam Rockwell character's obsession with being the red shirt that is going to die um, was also uh, just another fun insider. Like that one's one of those, like it used to be an insider joke that has become so mainstream that, you know, there, there's a whole book called red shirts uh, about, about well, this and joke. Did, did you read, did you read the trivia about how they named him guy based off of a stand-in for Star Trek that was, like, legendary? Yeah, like, the, just this? a recurring stand-in uh, from Star Trek, the original Yeah, there's series. this guy, his name was, his name was Guy something, um, and he was, he's legend. you can look him up, um, and he was in, like, TNG, like, across the board, but he wore every single type of um, uniform, and he was in the background, and then he was like a Klingon and he was like, he was so many things. And then they made the official guide to Star Trek and made an official character for him um, with the name and everything, just because he was just this good guy. And he just signed up like on a whim to be like, Hey, I could stand in to pay some bills. Just be the and then he background looked extra. so much like he, he looked so much like Brett Spiner that people kept mistaking him for data in stuff and so they were like we just need to have you here all the time so you can be the stand-in for for him and that he just had a long career (laughs) as a stand-in in in star trek because because he just looked a lot like data i I, I saw a shorter version of that trivia so you (laughs) you you definitely dug dug deeper uh than i had uh that's that's well, and I looked, I looked him up because I was like, dude, I want this guy to come to the convention. Like, I was like, I want him to come to Fan X or something. I was like, this guy is so funny. And he's like, a, he sells houses in, in California or something like that. But it's funny. I was just like, this guy's cool. I wish I had his name. I should have written it down. There's some of the background people in like the cheer, you know, the bar and cheers. Like they just, you know, ended up kind of recurring. I think he was on cheers too. (laughs) I think that that was one of the shows that he was a stand-in for as well. They had a bunch 
bunch more that that he just because he just kind of got a career as being a guy in the background. And he was honored that they that they named this character after him. He thought it was so funny, and you know, I mean, what how else are you going to react? But at least I hope you would react that way. Well, I think Sam Rockwell <laughs> gave him a good tribute then, like because Sam yeah. Rockwell was one of the best characters, had one of the best characters in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think originally he didn't want to do it, and somebody convinced him to. They were like, "No, you got to do this movie," and he and oh yeah, he was so funny. I don't want to steal any more of Joe's like favorite moments. So I, it, it, Joe, oh, if, no, if you've got oh, no, another another thing that's really funny about Sam Rockwell. So when he so when they go, when they go through when they go through the goopy machine that transports them, uh-huh. um, Sigourney Weaver did not know that he was going to scream like top of his lungs and so next time you watch it go back and watch her reaction because it is legit like it is a legit reaction she just like jumps and screams too because it's just so like because he's so loud and just abrupt with it it's so funny anyway go back and watch that it'll be fun so anyone listening and any other moments though you're you're welcome to share anything that stood out to you well, so I just like Sam Rockwell, like as, as long as we're talking about him, you know, when he's like, did you guys even watch the show? Like, <laughs> this is the one I die in. This is the one I die in. But, you know, he's, it, it's that thing where it's like people who have the minor role, minor character in the show, they're going to know all about it. Right. But the stars of the show, they're like, I, I got paid to film a thing. I think it's I know what's going on. 133 episodes I was in. You were in one. Yeah. Yeah. And so like people, but like. It just it just was one of those inside baseball things that it was like this guy is this guy actually loves the show that they are that they are that they were on. These other people, they loved the limelight and they loved the attention and I'm sure the money, but uh the show itself, guy absolutely loved. Well and and the so, same thing with the grinning the fans. ear to ear in the elevator. The the fans like he's grinning know more ear to ear in, yeah. about the ship than the than the actors that were on the ship, you know, in the show. Um and I, I think that's another well, and, and Sam very Rockwell's... real aspect of these, <laughs> you know, the, the, this kind of right. fandom. Yes. Well, and Sam Rockwell is just grinning from ear to ear. And he's like, what's the matter with you? He's like, I'm just happy to be part of the episode. And he's literally going to space. <laughs> just, yeah, that's a good show. And I love that Sigourney Weaver is like, her character is like, I have one job to do, and I am going to do it well. Oh, that's like, another that's great. So in- <laughs> and it's just sad. I mean, it's so sad, but it that it's true that that was the truth of that. Like she literally just repeats what. The- <laughs> but yeah, well, that's. Uh, I think the quote that uh, that I saw from uh, William Shatner, where he said he didn't recognize who T- Tim Allen was was lampooning. He did say that I enjoyed the the jokes about Michelle Nichols' role in our show, <laughs> which is exactly what you're talking about like yeah that's um self-awareness it's not uh even really uh like that that is almost not parody that is almost just exactly some of the script that nichelle nichols would have been given in star trek the original series is what scorny weaver is doing um and, and it's it's one of those where like through a modern lens just doing it straight up like it was can almost be comedic where like we're all chuckling along and like oh that's kind of ridiculous that's that's what it was uh but we've that's because we've changed so much in at, you know, at that point, 30 years on and now 50 years on uh, from when uh, some of the content, the, the galaxy quest is lampooning that it just seems comical to just do a straight up version of some, some of what was mainstream pop culture entertainment. I'm just sad that they didn't do the double 
So a classic maneuver in the 60s was holding your hands together and swinging them across like in a hammer fist connect thing, which is... The Kirk two-handed attack. Yeah, Spock. (laughs) Spock would do it too. Yeah. Um, And it is not effective. (laughs) That is not an effective way to fight. (laughs) Have you ever fought a rock monster, Nick? Yes, I have. Okay, well then, I'll defer to you on that. Yeah, yep. I, um, one of my classes, I, I sometimes show an episode from the 1960s Star Trek, and there are always some some chuckles, not about like jokes that are landing, but just that's how they did shows back in the 1960s, guys. We're just <laughs> this is part of it. Um, and yeah, the, the 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 rate at which the Star Trek crew was capable of knocking people out with just a single double fisted hit was was pretty, pretty high. Um, there's one specific scene in Star Trek that makes me laugh every time where Spock discovers that there's, there's this woman and he discovers that she's like a changeling or something. And I think it's McCoy says to him, that's Nancy. And he walks up and he's just punching her and he's like, this is not Nancy. And he's just smacking this old lady. And I'm just like, what the heck? This is Spock smacking an old lady. Is that the salt, hey, go find the that salt monster? It's not episode. Nancy. The salt vampire? I think so. Yeah. Classic. Um, all right. Every time. Uh, if you, so besides being funny, uh, is there, do you think an overall message that exists in Galaxy Quest? I, I think we. it's safe to say the straight up ver- reason this film was made is to, to make people laugh. That That's the goal. And I think it achieves it. But do you think it's also trying to say anything more? I think there's a lot of things that we can take from it. We've, we've, touched on a few of them already where it's okay to be a nerd and to like the things you like because it might be true that the space aliens are real even if you don't believe well, it even without um, that part of it it's just okay to like the things you like <laughs> yeah like it's it's completely fine to enjoy something i mean i was i was i was proud of all those convention goers when they heard that the entire cast had canceled for three days and they were all still there enjoying having fun hanging out with their tribe and then they got the you know wow, look at these special effects, you know, like they, they waited out and, and were rewarded with an amazing display of what they didn't know was real. Um, and so patience is good. I don't know. Is that... yeah. <laughs> no, but you know, like, and don't be bullies in the bathroom at a convention. I think now if somebody was saying something like that in the, in the bathroom that the nerds would like, combine in strength and take those guys out like <laughs> i think they'd rise up and be well, like why are that. you here I, th- I think that i think that they would just be like well then why are you here why don't you leave this is not your place i'm sure somebody would they, they would they would use their words they would yeah. use their words they wouldn't take them well maybe emotionally take them out i don't know i don't know but those guys were not very big and I, there's some big nerds out there that could probably like help out See, I think the, I think the most important uh, message of this movie is to be who you are, and if you are who you are, then that's when things actually came together. When uh, when the cast was at the beginning of the episode or the episode, the movie, and they were trying to be who they were previously in the show, they were miserable. They were not enjoying themselves. They weren't. They weren't doing. They weren't living the life that they of the person that they were at that moment. 
Um, and that's emphasized by the bathroom scene that we've talked about several times. Uh, except in that, in the beginning part, uh, Justin Long's character, Brandon is who he is and he's talking and he's excited and he's ha- and he's happy. Like he's like one of the few happy people we get dialogue from in that first part of the movie. Then, uh, the, the Thermians are trying to just copy the, they're just trying to copy the historical documents and they're not being who they are either. And it devastates them when that falls apart. Uh, but they, they get back to it. You know, the, the one guy who, who uh, meets his untimely demise in front of, uh, Dr. Lazarus, he, uh, is, yes, he's, doing things he learned from the show and the historical documents, but he's freaking hanging from the ceiling (laughs) because, you know, he's an alien and that's what he can do. Uh, And so you've got, you've, you've got the aliens who need to be who they are to be their best person. You've got the actors who once they embrace, okay, I'm not, I'm not the captain of this ship, but this is my job. And so I will do it. And they embrace that. They're not trying to pretend to be the captain. They're just who they are. And they're going to try to save, save these people because they're rising to the moment. Uh, then they do amazing things by being who they are. Uh, back to Justin Long. And he's like, yeah, I know it's not real. I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a fool. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, it's real. I need your help. Those nerds were like, they, they saved the day by being exactly who they were and not being ashamed about it. So I think that's the overall theme of the story is like, don't try to be who you were. Don't try to be who you think is cool. Don't try to be who think people expect you to be, be the person that you are. And when you do that, you can accomplish amazing things. You, you almost started sounding like the army to me. (laughs) Be the best that you can be. Be all that you can be. Anyway. Well, coming from me, it would be more of a, and now you know. And uh, knowing. knowing is half the battle. Classic do, do, uh, educational do. entertainment from our childhood. The G.I. Joe <laughs> franchise. Uh, no, I, I like both the, the, the themes that you've identified there. And I think that's um, an aspect of all the versions of this that we've talked about, like with the Three Amigos or, or A Bug's Life. Like that's part of it is um, in the story beat structure, they at some point have to shed the facade. Um, you know, they, they are pretending to be heroes and they have to be honest with themselves and the people around them before they can truly become heroes. Um, and it's not in that, in that sense, it's not fake until you make it. <laughs> it's, uh, you, you can't actually be heroic until you are embracing who you are. Um, and, and, uh, you can line up the, the plot structure of all three of these films pretty closely and they're all funny and they're, they're successful in parodying different, different things, um, as they do it. But I think that is a consistency between them. Well, gentlemen, do you have any final thoughts about galaxy quest before we wrap up? I think there should be more girls in this movie. Yeah, that's one issue. Like that. when you're parodying something like 1960s Star Trek, it's like, yeah. well, if you're going to be true to what 1960s Star Trek was, there's going to be some issues. Um, going to be one girl, one girl on the bridge. I, oh, another funny. Th- one, oh, one another funny thing I read was that um, the love story between the Thermian and the engineer mm-hmm. that was an idea when Steven Spielberg came on the set. He said, "You got to have this," and so Steven Spielberg said. 
you got to have a love story between these two. That would be fun. And then they wrote it into the script because Steven Spielberg said to, and it's great. It's a great little thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that was fun. I think if you that get a note from Steven Spielberg, you, you just immediately are like, yes, sir. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what your role is in this production. Steven Spielberg, <laughs> you give us any story notes. We're, we're going to be following those. Yeah. yeah. So I I was trying to save this for Nick and we kind of talked about it a little a little bit. But the the last my last thought about this movie is that movie quotes can just and TV quotes can just have real real like oomph and power behind them. Uh when you when you think about the things that were like really emotional beats in this uh, for me, it's never part of it is never give up, never surrender. I, I, anytime anyone says never give up, I always follow that up with never surrender, um, just because. But like one of the like probably the most emotional part in the movie that we've talked about is when, uh, is when Alan Rickman is dealing with the dying Thermian, mm-hmm. and the line that he absolutely hates is the line that he then says, which just gives that Thermian peace and gives the whole audience a sense of emotional strength. And so like by invoking movie quotes, you can invoke the, the emotion and the power and the nostalgia behind it. Yeah. And I think this is an interesting case where like the film sets up for us, like all this implicit meaning of, Alan Rickman's loathing of this line uh, and and this catchphrase. And, you know, we've never heard it before we watched the movie for the first time, but we pretty quickly catch on that. This must have been something he said pretty regularly on the show and he hates it. Uh, and, and they give it to us frequently enough in that early part. And it's always funny to hear Alan Rickman grimace, uh, you know, as, as he gets the line through his teeth. Uh, but then when he says it earnestly, it, like it now has that impact almost as well, though this was you know, a, a nostalgic catchphrase that we all already knew. Well, and the, and the dying Thermian sets it up mm-hmm. so that you can't not like, like he, he says, you know, forgive me for my impertinence. But even though we've never met before, I always thought of you as a father figure or as, you know, and, and at that, you know, that connection creates a moment that, um, I mean, it's just good writing is what that is. Yep. Um, well, and if you, so. It, so like this, Alan Rickman's character was clearly a parody of Spock, right? Uh, or more a parody of Leonard Nimoy than Spock because he, because he hated Star Trek for a while. He hated his association as Spock. He wrote he, a book called I Am Not Spock because yeah. it drove him nuts. However, let Leonard Nimoy's final public words, I don't know, private and stuff like that but the last thing that he said in public was live long and prosper so it kind of has that same that same hit to it well i think that is going to wrap up this episode thank you for joining us for show notes and links to all of the other great dueling genre shows you can go to duelinggenre.com also please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in your podcast app of choice and please leave us a review that really helps us out we'd like to thank scott tofty who composed our theme music now nick and brandon we both had you have had you we've had you both on many times plugging your podcast i believe you're you're paused in your podcast at the moment but is there anything you want to pl- uh, plug right now yeah, I'll, I'll plug something right now. If you head over to patreon.com slash protagonist, there's a show that is just really great that you could support. I've and been supporting it for years. 
it's a great return on investment. Chef's kiss to that that plug. That is uh, that is great. <laughs> thank you, uh, and thank you, You're listeners. Welcome. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. It's that same premise, but in space. Space. Thank you. That was uh, well timed. <laughs> well, before we move on to to the summary, sorry. <laughs> oh, I just don't know I, what I, thought, I can add after that. I, I, I thought I was going to make it through without cracking up, and I broke. I'm sorry. <laughs> I do not. Yeah. Before we move sorry, on Andrew, to the summary of the film. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Andrew. This is definitely going to be an edit point. <clears throat> <laughs>